In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Just a reminder that Diet Starts Tomorrow is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical advice. Always seek the advice of a physician or a health professional. Betches Media presents Diet Starts Tomorrow. I stand behind my decision to avoid salad and other disgusting things. With hosts Remy Casimir. I'll have what she's having. And Emily Lubin. Remember, choose like you have a secret. We're here to amuse your boosh. Hello, and welcome to Diet Starts Tomorrow. I'm Emily. And I'm Remy. And today we're very excited to be joined by a very cool guest. Um, She is a general pediatrician and adolescent medicine specialist. Welcome, Dr. Rebecca Fenton. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for coming on. You know, we have been, it's been our mission to get more doctors on the podcast to provide that true medical perspective, but Mm -hmm. also the fact that you're a pediatrician, I think you're going to be able to answer a lot of questions that people have because one of the number one things that at least that I get asked is like, how do you raise children to have a healthy relationship with their bodies when Mm -hmm. there are all these risks involved and so many different things that you have to worry about as a parent? Mm -hmm. And what is the right thing to do? And I think a lot of our listeners have kids. And so we're, yeah, we're really pumped. Um, For anybody who doesn't know about you, can you tell us a bit about your education and background in medicine? Yeah. So I guess I always start my um, journey with the fact that my family is a healthcare family. So my mom's a nursing professor. My dad is a pediatrician. You're a family of learned doctors. Yes. And somehow was the only sibling who was like, this is what I want to do. Um, but these were the kind of conversations that my family was having growing up, in addition to the fact that I would say all of my family is living in bigger bodies. And so it was always something that I was super sensitive to, even mm. before I learned medicine. Mm. Um, and then from there, I went to Stanford for undergraduate, did my major in human biology with a concentration in development from girl to woman. Just sounded cool. I didn't quite know what I was going to do. Yeah. With from there, went to medical school at University of Pennsylvania. And then I went to Seattle for residency in pediatrics and then found myself in Chicago for fellowship at Lurie Children's. And if that sounds like a crazy path with no like clear direction, then that's exactly what I did. <laughs> sounds like an amazing path. It was. I loved being able to see the different ways that kind of both in medicine, but also culturally different parts of the country are so fascinating totally. from each other. Yeah. Um, and then you learn a lot about yourself in the process, too, but decided to make Chicago home. And so that's where I am now trying to do all the things that are adolescent medicine, which is basically health problems that teenagers deal with everything from birth control to gender care, to as we're talking about, like health and nutrition and eating disorders. Um, mental health is a huge part of my practice as well. So basically, I get to see people from 10 to 25 for all of the things that could go wrong during that period of time or mm-hmm. for their regular healthy visits. And so I love my job. And I'm really excited to be able to share some of the insights that I've learned in my practice with you all. Thank you for doing that. And yeah. thank you for like just being this person because we need a lot of people like you. And uh... yeah, did you always want to go into pediatrics? Or was that something that you kind of figured out in medical school? 
Uh, mostly pediatrics. I joke that my middle school yearbook has a picture of me in one of my mom's white coats with OBGYN at the bottom. <laughs> I wanted to bring babies into the world is what I said oh. at that age. And then I realized how um, messy and real yeah. that process is. I'm actually sure. going through it myself in a few weeks. Um, oh my so God, I was like, congrats. maybe I'll just wait till the baby's out. And then after that, I'll care for them. I'll take so care of them once it's here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait till they're cute and, you know, clean and mm-hmm. Covered up. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mazel Tov on your pregnancy. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so exciting. Okay. So let's get into this. You have described your medical practice as a weight stigma free practice before. Can you explain what that means for people who might not understand? So first I want to highlight, I think there's often words that are very similar that have like slightly different definitions, Mm -hmm. like weight inclusive, or I've also used weight neutral at certain points. Mm -hmm. But generally it's trying to get to this idea that deconstructing the idea that weight is an indicator of health. And so for so long, medicine is really preached. Like, for example, often when you see a health condition, you'll see, okay, who's at higher risk for this? And it automatically would say things like obesity. Mm. And people who are practicing weight stigma free are trying to get away from the assumption that weight automatically means that you're at higher risk for insert conditions. Got it. Or that when you're seeing a patient, you're not using weight as this guidance for here's exactly what I'm worried about in them. And therefore, on the opposite, like, oh, because your weight is normal, and I'm putting that in quotes, um, that I'm not worried about certain conditions. separating those two ideas. Mm -hmm. This is something that I really personally want to understand. And I feel like it's so, so confusing. And I don't know if you, if you'll have an exact answer for me, but we talk about health risks associated with higher weights all the time. And I'm learning that we don't actually know. We do know that there is a higher rate of certain illnesses for higher weights, but we don't know if being at that higher weight actually causes them or if it's just a correlation. So how do you like assess risk and how do you, like when we say there are risks involved, how do you measure what the risk is? Is that, does that make sense? It does. So I guess I'll think of two things. One is um, as far as what this kind of looks like, I actually had a patient recently who came in and saw them for the very first time and had a point on the growth chart that was their weight and their height for the day. And they were asking me like, hey, am I a good weight for my Mm -hmm. age and my height? And I actually had to say like, I have no idea because I have seen you once. I don't have a growth chart to be able to follow that kind of story of like, hey, what were you like when you were born as you were growing up? Were you staying within one line on your growth chart or have you been jumping percentiles? And so I kind of um, was able to focus more on like, well, what are you doing on a daily basis as far as nutrition and exercise to at least get a sense of where, how they're caring for themselves now. But I think that's kind of the reality is that there's some doctors who would feel like, hey, if somebody's automatically in the obesity area and I'm seeing them for the first time, I can make an assessment there. Whereas I know practicing weight neutrally that I actually can't. And it's going to take time and also some historical records for me to get a sense of where is this patient in their trajectory. Right. But on the other side, as you're thinking about risks, when I am talking to patients who are higher weights, I do know, as you mentioned, that there are certain health conditions that we are concerned about, such as um, diabetes, high cholesterol, not to say that those at normal weights or even lower weights aren't affected by those things. But I will explain to the families because of um, being at a higher weight, 
these are things that I am required to screen for, but I kind of frame it that way as opposed to assuming just because you're at a higher weight means that you have these lab results. Mm. And so when you talk about risks, that's kind of one of the things I'm looking at is like, what do your labs look like? Mm. That determines your uh, risk later on for heart disease, diabetes, and the complications related to it, as opposed to just making an assumption because of the way a patient looks or where their point is on the growth chart. Right. Because you don't know if they've always just been like that. And that's like their natural weight. You're like, Correct. Or like you see pictures of marathon runners who would be classified as obese. Like, (laughs) I just can't imagine that that person's at the same risk of diabetes as somebody who perhaps may have the same weight, but a much more sedentary lifestyle or even a lower weight who is eating, you know, high um, fat, um, greasy kind of foods. Like, you just can't make those generalizations. Mm -hmm. I guess that's one of the flaws with the BMI scale. How do you feel about the BMI scale? Do you use it? So the unfortunate thing is actually insurance requires us to use it. Mm, so that thing, even as somebody who doesn't put a lot of stock in it, I still have to acknowledge that it exists. Mm. Um, so even the chart system that I use right now, the very first page that I open up to literally says in bold text, like yellow, underweight, green, healthy weight, or like red, overweight, obese. Mm. And so um, that, and also I think we actually have to document BMI for every patient that we're seeing. But that said, I don't let those things guide my conversations. I still Mm -hmm. kind of translate that through the lens. But more important for me is really, again, that trend and seeing like, okay, have you always been at the 95th percentile, which would be considered obese um, for an adolescent versus are you somebody who just recently has gained a lot of weight? And I would ask more questions to kind of get a sense, is there some kind of story behind that, whether that be physical conditions or mental health conditions that are contributing to that, Mm -hmm. seeing if somebody suddenly lost weight. So my thoughts on BMI was I always, well, personally, I guess, um, has at kind of that higher end of it and consistently been there. And so I've had doctors bring that up. And of course, I, like many people who are at that end, felt pressure to lose weight, have at certain points in my life, have always gained that weight back. And so actually find that the healthiest um, place for me as far as mental mindset was just kind of accepting, hey, this maybe this is where I am and making sure that I um, am looking for physicians who also respect that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think then I learned, I guess it was probably in um, residency as far as some sense that it actually wasn't as accurate as it was being presented and have later learned that actually it came from insurance. So it wasn't even physicians who came up with the idea of BMI, but really using kind of like um, information about death rates later on as ways of making kind of assumptions that certain people at higher weights must be at increased risk and that that was then applied to medicine and even less helpfully applied to children. Mm-hmm. So just realizing a little bit that there's some kind of arbitrary, almost like using, again, that weight, that number as a proxy for these health conditions, rather than reflecting the fact that, for example, people who have high muscle mass look like they're obese and, in fact, may have very low body fat. And mm. so it's really a substitution for the things that actually may matter in contributing to um, people's health outcomes and assessments. And th- there was like a big push for a while for like, I think, curing childhood obesity. How did you feel about that? And did you think like the approach that doctors were taking was good or that it was maybe not as helpful as it could have been? Yeah, I think even as recently as the new guidelines that the American Academy of Pediatrics has put out that there's almost this emphasis on maybe we need to help children lose this weight now to prevent them from Mm -hmm. being higher weights as adults. So I would say that that idea may have initially got presented historically, but certainly is still continuing today. I guess I, as a pediatrician, feel the sympathy of, I think sometimes we feel the burden of like, 
the adult people saying, hey, all these problems happen in adults. It's your job as pediatricians right now to mm-hmm. like fix these families, fix these kids yeah. because they don't have these problems. And so I will say that any efforts that pediatrics are making are actually coming from a place of like, we want to care for children yes. without acknowledging yet that these diet messages can actually be very harmful. I know you were talking about kind of a lot of your listeners having children, mm-hmm. and yet many of them are probably revisiting a lot of the things that they heard from their families or from their doctors because of these good intentions of wanting to set people on the right track, totally. realizing that diet culture is actually very harmful. And um, it would be very nice if we'd never even set people up where they had to deconstruct these ideas. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I think that in my idea is really more more of like thinking about tools that they actually will be able to use their entire lives. Like our weights are supposed to change over the course of uh, the years. So when families ask me like, what weight should my child be? That answer one, I can't really answer, but two is going to change every year. And yet the ideas of um, living actively, um, having a well-rounded diet, having a healthy relationship with food, those are things that we actually can keep with us. And so my hope is really more that pediatrics can shift towards setting people up for a healthy relationship with their bodies and with food that will support them all along and ultimately also benefit their health rather than having such a focus on weight, which is such a varying thing with so many complicated factors. And in the end, it's up being almost a proxy for the things that we really want to address. It feels like cat food has been the same forever. Smelly, boring, made of mystery ingredients. That's why you've got to try Smalls. Small's cat food is protein-packed recipes made with preservative-free ingredients you'd find in your own fridge. And it's delivered right to your door. Make the switch from kibble and give your cat a meal they'll love. We actually sent some Small's to my friend in Brooklyn who is fostering kittens, and they took to it right away. It is delicious. It is nutritious. It is easy to serve. Yum, yum, yum. Eat it up. Your cute kitty is descended from ferocious desert cats who hunted live prey. Even if your cat prefers to nap all day, they still need fresh, protein-packed meals for a balanced and healthy diet. Other brands fill their food with mysterious meat byproducts, artificial flavoring, and preservatives with names I don't even want to try to pronounce. After switching it up to Smalls, 90% of cat owners reported overall health improvements. That's major. The team at Smalls is so confident your cat will love their product that you can try it risk-free. That means they'll completely refund you if your picky cat won't eat their food. Now is the time to make the switch to Smalls. Head to smalls.com slash DST and use promo code DST at checkout for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. That's the best offer you'll find, but you have to use my code DST for 50% off your first order. One last time, that's promo code DST for 50% off your first order, plus free shipping. This episode is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always find the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you, Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for this season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. And you always have the option to buy what you love. I love Newly. I've rented so many cute things from there, and I've even made a few purchases from there. And 
they're always spot on. They have so many brands that I honestly could never afford in real life. So it's great to be able to rent them. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now, you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DST20. Just go to Newly, that's N U U L Y dot com, and enter the code DST20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com, newly with two U's, with code DST20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. One thing that I've noticed with my sister who has kids is that, A, like so many kids are such picky eaters. So getting them to eat things that you know are healthy for them, that's already challenging. But then on top of that, you don't want to discourage the fun foods because you want them to have a normal relationship with food. And I've seen a lot of people like give dessert at the same time as the meal Mm -hmm. or, you know, try to encourage all foods fit that way. What do you kind of advise parents to do? I'm just curious if they have picky eaters or if they're concerned about their children not getting enough nutrition, but they also don't want them to have a negative relationship with food. Yeah. So first, I think it's starting with the fact that young, young children, picky eating is very developmentally normal and that they actually will recognize their own needs and eat less even than parents might be offering them. And that's okay. And that actually we're the ones imposing a bad relationship with food by doing things like, oh, you have to achieve the clean plate club. You have to Mm -hmm. finish all of this when the kid is actually grazing on purpose. And that's actually totally normal for them. So I'm thinking about kind of our like one to three-year-olds who are super picky, you know, might only eat chicken fingers for an entire day. Like that is okay. Knowing <laughs> mm-hmm. that over, hopefully over the course of the week, we're getting some variety, even if it's not necessarily every fruit or every vegetable. So the and kids so are I eating think, intuitively. Yes, exactly. And actually <laughs> yeah. at that point, um, it was one of my mentors, Dr. Uh, Lou mentions that idea really with newborns even. So any newborn who's breastfeeding is very much eating intuitively, mm-hmm. like crying or signaling when they're hungry pushing away when they're full. And in fact, all we're doing as adults is like trying to relearn the things that we already had that probably our environments taught us to forget because you go to a restaurant, you get this huge plate of food. We feel like we have to finish it. Our family tells us, oh, you have to finish all of your food. Like we uh, we unlearn the intuitive eating that we actually were born with. And so, yes, very much a huge fan of intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as kind of what other family members can do later on, even after that pickiness, it's just really encouraging developing relationships with food. And so not necessarily having battles over the peas. If they don't like the peas, that is fine. But how can they be a part of the process of picking vegetables or fruits outside of their comfort zone? So at the grocery store, even holding and handling them, being a part of the preparation process that might encourage Mm -hmm. them to be a little bit more excited about the idea of having a couple of bites of those rather than this expectation that, again, they have to finish that entire plate and kind of continuing to broaden their understanding of food as they grow. Yeah, I think the finishing the plate thing is because people don't want to like waste like and and a lot of us have like a scarcity mindset. Yeah, it's been like drilled into us. I I have it a little bit myself. Like if I have a nice cut of meat on my plate and there's I don't know maybe two or three ounces left, I do want to finish it rather than save it or because it's there. Yeah, because it's there, and I I think we are conditioned to do that from a very very young age. Mm -hmm. But it's not. But you're absolutely right. It's so not necessary. And I've had this thought before too that. I've had plenty of days in my life where I just ate chicken fingers and I am perfectly healthy. So I don't think it's like 
finish your broccoli or you're going to grow up to be malnourished, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not quite as severe as we imagine, but we, we just want to make sure that our kids are getting the best nutrition that they can. Mm-hmm. Totally. I remember going to college and seeing this kid who every time he went to the dining hall would eat hot dogs. And I was just <laughs> like, I just wonder what your high school life looked like. <laughs> you have the freedom to make choices. You want hot dogs every day. Yeah. So I, I totally agree. A balanced life looks like being able to eat hot dogs, cookies, cupcakes, like the variety and not mm-hmm. necessarily naming any of those things as good or bad. But again, that kind of intuition and that balance and that hopefully, you know, no matter where you are on the spectrum, that you're really getting to enjoy the variety of foods. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, have you had parents maybe you have a patient, have you had their parents say to you specifically, I want my child to lose weight and maybe you didn't agree with that or like, how how do you kind of reconcile that when, when there are parents that want their kids to lose weight or to quote, get healthier, but maybe that's not really right for the child at that time? So I would say first, the more common question I get is what should my child, like what weight should my child be? Which I think mm. they're kind of getting at the sense of like, I think my child's weight is too high, but like somehow, you know, this goal oriented mindset of I need to know a certain number so that we can get them down to that. Mm-hmm. So to that generally I answer, or even that question of like, I want them to lose weight. What do I do for many children? At least those who are still growing that answer actually never is lose weight. It's really more of trying to potentially maybe have them maintain weight, knowing that their height will actually catch up with them. And again, knowing that if a child is abnormally gaining weight, that makes me more worried that like we're not um, getting physical activity. We're probably eating greater portions. Kids will describe like, oh yeah, I wasn't actually hungry. I was bored or, you know, just sitting around or I was sad or I'll be kind of all these other emotions that they end up feeding other than true hunger. And so it's a lot of education around intuitive eating in addition to being able to um, find some active habits that they enjoy. And then at a point where maybe growth has stopped, um, that's when we kind of think still less about like, oh, at least my perspective is less about focusing on losing weight as much as again, trying to see why are we gaining weight and what's the issues behind that? And maybe if there's not anything kind of a separate condition that needs to be addressed, how are we working on at least kind of maintaining weight where we are now, given the fact that that linear growth isn't occurring? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I also let families know that like, hey, there you could be changing all of these things, such as decreasing portions, finding more balance in the drinks and the desserts um, or eating out and still not see your child's weight and to know that that is OK, because, again, weight is really more kind of a secondary thing that may or may not actually need to change to be able to show that they're at a better um, place. And so sometimes people think when I'm focusing like weight neutrally that I somehow don't care about preventing things like diabetes. And they're like, well, what do you do if you see that the patient's pre-diabetic? I'm like, I address address the pre-diabetes. Exactly. By helping them come up with some habits around activity and changing how they're eating. But I think to say that to treat diabetes requires weight loss is unfair because, in fact, some of the weight experts will even say, hey, actually, we notice these labs change before the patient even loses weight. So then I ask them, I'm like, so then are you even still setting weight loss as a goal? And they sometimes say not necessarily unless it's something that is a goal of the family. And so um, the last thing I do is really just kind of explore why is weight something that they're focused on. Yeah. And often it's really has more to do with stigma than it really actually has to do with health. And mm-hmm. so um, just giving space to that of saying, hey, it kind of sucks that we live in a culture where bigger bodies are judged and all these assumptions are made about them, you know, that you're lazy, that you don't care about yourself when none of that is true. 
how can we try to love the body that you're in, even while trying to make these improvements and also lose the expectation that changing how I'm living my life will or will not change your weight and that that's okay. And that trusting mm-hmm. that I will pay attention to the things that matter as far as your risk, but that um, seeing that scale change does not necessarily have to lead yeah. to a healthier overall place. And I feel like a lot of these parents, they're coming from their own experience of living in this world and having that stigma all around them and stuff. And I was kind of wondering, like, how can you recommend feeding your kids and having a healthy lifestyle if a parent is still restricting? Like, is that even a possible thing for a kid to be able to create a healthy relationship with food if one of their parents, especially the one who is nurturing them, doesn't have one? I'd say you almost can't, um, Mm -hmm. especially the younger ones who are relying on their parents to be able to make these decisions around what's being eaten. So um, pediatrics is huge part is really working with relationships with the parents because Mm -hmm. the child's life is not going to change without parents adapting to that. I literally remember in residency, there was some kid when we were talking about these things, they yelled out like, oh, but mom always has ice cream. And of course, the mom blushed. It was super embarrassed. (laughs) But I think it actually brought up the point of like, yes, if we're making changes, we really have to do this as a family. And so I really do encourage parents to be able to think about their own experiences, give themselves space to think about that, even if that's things like therapy and really making goals as a whole family so that it's not like we're singling out our one kid because they're the problem because I would hate for that child to feel that way. But more as we as a family are modeling these behaviors um, so that we can all set ourselves up to be in a better, healthy perspective. My mom used to say this thing that I found very annoying and it wasn't about it, like necessarily about food, but she always used to say, do as I say, not as I do. And I was like, how, (laughs) how with that example, like, that's not fair. Also, I'm six. (laughs) Yeah. That was from the same. I think parents learn that from the same guidebook as because I said so. Right. It's like, and it's, and it's so hard because you're like, I'm literally modeling my entire life after you, mm-hmm. you know, because I have no choice. Right. You're the people I know. Well, g- kind of on that note, do you notice self-esteem issues in children living in larger bodies versus smaller bodies? Like, do you mm. do you notice a, a disparity between the two? And like, could that be coming from the parents So I would say I don't think anybody's immune to self-esteem issues. So as far as broadly, I think while the degree varies per child, we all have our insecurities. But as far as whether or not they're specifically related to weight, then absolutely. I see that more commonly with kids at higher weight. Um, That could be coming from their peers, people bullying them because of their size. It could be coming from their parents making comments, whether well-intended or more, you know, judgy without realizing the harm of that, that these kids are internalizing. And unfortunately, sometimes it even comes from their doctors. I've heard stories of um, physicians who've like pinched, you know, roles on children mm-hmm. or made comments about their being chubby that people held on to for years and saw um, not only emotional damage from, but even avoidance of healthcare from. So unfortunately, there's not yeah. even one pinpoint uh, yeah. place where all of this is coming from, but absolutely these things can get internalized and really just make all of this worse. And we talk about like, I've heard the number of stories I've heard of people saying that their eating disorder actually started because of comments around this and thinking that they were making healthy choices <sighs> that then became extreme choices and led to, you uh-huh. know, really the opposite end of the um, spectrum as far as their health is really heartbreaking. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, we have talked a lot on this show about how uh, there 
a lot of people have had negative experiences with doctors and it it sucks because these are, are some really great doctors. There are some really great doctors. And yeah. I think that the ones with poor bedside manner are the ones that say not so nice things to their patients. They're giving they're giving other doctors a bad name. And they're giving, like you said, people reasons not to want to seek out health care after those doctors. You know, well, because it's traumatizing, it's traumatizing, too. and then your health literally will get worse. Yes, but I something that I have not shared is I was an overweight child, or that's how I was classified, um, and I do have a memory of a doctor saying to me about my weight because every time I would go to the doctor, there'd be something about my weight, it, it, some conversation about it. And I had one doctor who said we would rather have a patient who's heavy but who's happy. And who's, you know, aspiring to health mm -hmm. than have somebody who's unhappy about their weight, always trying to change themselves, trying to starve themselves, essentially. And that was kind of the first positive experience I had as a, as yeah. a child with a doctor who was like, yeah, no, that that's actually not the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Like, y I do consider it important, but it's not more important than your mental health. And your overall health. Yeah. 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 No, I'm still, I like. It's at some level, it's so glad for you that you finally had some level of balance. But I'm also yeah. like that. It's also such a sad like bar where like the best thing they could say is be like, you can be healthy, you can be heavy and happy as if that's still some kind of concession. I guess right. that's mm -hmm. like heartbreaking in hearing that. So first I approached this and all this topic from a personal perspective where I, I guess it was in college, um, really got into exercising my junior year. I think I lost about like 25 pounds and was proud of it until I actually skipped a period and was like, whoa, maybe I did oh, too God. much and yeah. now I messed up and it's unhealthy. Um, and actually saw my doctor that summer when I had my lower weight. And of course she congratulated me on all the efforts that I've done and then applied to medical school the next year where you're flying all over the country going to interviews. There was no way for me to consistently exercise. I was eating at airports mm -hmm. and like all of these events um, and gained all of that weight right back in the following year and had a, another visit with her. And even before she said a word, the computer like had this alert that my weight had increased by such and such percent. And I was like, <laughs> what um, was the alert was, sound like? It was like, it was, I, it was a little beep and bonk like bonk. a screen. Um, and it was so, you know, I of course was embarrassed that like this was being highlighted. I was already very aware of the weight that I'd regained and started crying. And she in that moment, I guess, had no words to respond, which oh, almost wow. felt like I'm glad she didn't say anything hurtful, but also just sitting in my sadness, like with silence was the most like heartbreaking experience yeah. that I've ever had as a patient um, to the point where actually I didn't go see a doctor for just like a regular visit for like five years. And this was while in medical school. Understandable. Because I was really like, yeah. I don't want to sit through that again. Yeah. And so part of the reason why I'm so sensitive to this is because of the fact that like, I do feel it, even if sometimes I think um, based off of how my body is organized, people don't necessarily recognize that even I qualify as obese, which I think it's its own conversation because often the pictures so that are put up as obesity are people with very, very large bodies or often showed in subjectifying ways of eating food as if they're not allowed to nourish themselves. And we don't recognize that the reason why obesity is so common is because people who fall into that category can have bodies of various different shapes. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. The bar for obese is not really that high. Correct. It really, really is not. Literally for me, sometimes it's like a 15 pound range that I'm wow. like, I have been on one end where I'm like, okay, suddenly I'm out of it and then regain. And I'm like, and I'm back in. So I think that's how I approach this stuff sensitively. But at the same time, I think also realizing that 
um, we really should be prioritizing mental health and also, again, still taking away this idea that a heavier body in itself is the problem. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that at least your doctor gave you that much, but I would love to see doctors push it one step further and say like, what if we actually just let go of the idea that heavy or higher weight is a bad thing? Mm-hmm. Like, what if we oh, yeah. actually acknowledge the fact that patients can actually be thriving, like shocking and be in a bigger body? Like that mm-hmm. that's allowed and that that's actually something that not only are, should we accept, but is actually already happening. And instead we're ignoring and making people feel bad about themselves. Um, which to the point where I'll hear patients say like, I'm actually okay with my weight, but my doctor keeps bringing it up. So I feel like it's a problem. Yeah. 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 I mean, it it would be so earth shattering, like everything would have been different. I think if I had a doctor who had that kind of philosophy, it just didn't exist at the time. I think at least not. I was going to say, like you mentioned losing your period. I remember a time being like, and trigger warning, but thinking that was aspirational to lose so much weight that you lost your period because it was a really clear indicator that like, you know. You're at your goal, I guess. But it's a very clear indicator that something is going wrong in your body. And I just remember it being like a very acceptable thing. And I I get um, sad sometimes when people are like, oh, but if you're too body positive, they're never going to be healthy. And I'm like, we have been so unhealthy on the lower end of the spectrum for such a long time. And it seemed like nobody cared about it. It seemed like it was kind of lauded. Yeah, or even just the way that like patients will come in and some doctors will automatically say, oh, congratulations, you lost weight. Yeah. And I'm like, to me, I'm like, I very sensitively approach that like, hey, I noticed that you have lost weight. Is this something you want to talk about? What have you done? What has happened? Because there can be so many reasons. Like, why are we applauding, you know, at least socially, it could be that people have a cancer diagnosis that they haven't told us about yeah. yet. And here we are being like, congratulations. You look you amazing. Weight, yeah. Right? <laughs> or, you know, struggling with depression, the worst that they've had in their lives. And yet we're like, great job. Like mm-hmm. your body looks great. Love that so, for you. To me, it's always, exactly. <laughs> always, always, always a story. And before I make any assumptions about what that story is, I need more information. And also, as far as you talked about with periods, I've even fought that battle with, I do have patients who are so involved in athletics that they're not eating enough to be able to keep up with their sports. Mm-hmm. And they'll go see their primary care doctor who looks at the growth chart, because again, they think that's the whole story and say, well, your weight is normal, so no problem. But yet they've not had periods for six months. And I'm like, actually, your bones are unhappy. Like that <sighs> clearly is showing you that you're not at a nutritional state that is healthy enough to carry a pregnancy, even if you obviously don't want one. And I don't want you to have one either, but like that just shows your body is saying something is wrong. And yet we're still superimposing weight is all that matters saying like, oh, well, if you're a healthy weight, you're allowed to not have periods. And that's absolutely not true. Is there a healthy way to lose your period besides getting pregnant? (laughs) Birth control, which is not perfect. No, but but, you know, like, is there ever a reason that somebody's lost their period and you're just like, that's totally fine and not an indication of something bad? Pregnancy and menopause. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's probably what I would have guessed. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like a positive thing to happen. No, nope, I mean, no. but again, I'm coming from like I remember where certain athletes would lose their periods, and I'd go, "Well, they must be working really hard." Oh no, totally, totally, and that's like from such a disordered place. But it's so mm-hmm. it's scary how universal it is. Still, mm-hmm. like I I yeah I I've known a handful of of women who have lost their period and thought it was no big deal because they were on a weight loss journey. But that's a very clear indicator that something is amiss. That needs to have more of a stigma. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Not in a judgy way, just in a like right now it's like you lost like your period kind of way. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I think it ties into, you know, doctors who, who do have weight stigma free practices. A lot of people will make the argument like, oh, well, isn't that encouraging unhealthy lifestyles? And to Remy's point, it's like unhealthy lifestyles are being encouraged been around. all over the place. Yeah. But it's interesting how that becomes the argument when we're talking about just being kinder to people with higher weights mm. and not judging them, be, not being so quick to judge them and assume they have things medically wrong with them just because of the way they look. Now we're concerned about encouraging unhealthy lifestyles. It is something that I that I wrestle with a lot. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned that like you'll take it seriously if somebody comes in at a bigger weight or a smaller weight than they normally are that you're like accustomed to. When you see people fluctuate, is that an unhealthy thing to do? Like what is a healthy amount of fluctuation? I tend to tell patients that about like five pounds is healthy mm-hmm. and common, especially, you know, um, somebody who is birth assigned female going through cycles. Like we weigh different amounts over the course of our cycle, which is yeah. also why it's not super helpful to be weighing yourself regularly. Any more than that makes me wonder about kind of what changes they have made. And so then again, I kind of ask more questions about that. And then of course, if there's like intentional dieting or like kind of what we call like yo-yo dieting where you, you know, suddenly has tried some kind of crash trend or suddenly had this really intense workout, lost a lot of weight. And then as you stopped that activity and didn't have a way to be able to maintain that, you go right back, that actually that can be harmful. So our bodies actually do have this idea of a set point, which was something that I learned when I really right, right, looked right. into this. And uh, basically it's the weight that your body wants to be. And you really can't, you have to work very, very hard to be able to change that. Or even after working hard to change that, the body often will go back to that by making you, for example, much more hungry. And so people describe things like binge eating Mm -hmm. in response to having restricted because that's the body's way of being able to try to maintain that um, metabolism and kind of its ideal place. So actually your body's set point can increase over time because of that yo-yo dieting. And so there really is harm to that. And in fact, you end up in a worse place than your original goal was all just because the body's trying to kind of establish its equilibrium. Totally. I've wondered that before because it does seem like many people, I don't want to say most people because I don't actually know, but many people as they age, they do put on weight over time. So is it that their set point has changed? I've always wondered Mm. that. Like, could I have a a lower set point in my 20s or 30s and then my set point is higher in my 60s and 70s? Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know that I've seen, at least with regards to set point, that there's a difference, but absolutely metabolism changes. And so certainly if like, you know, people kind of describe all the ways that they're able to eat a whole bunch of food or a bigger variety of foods easily without noticing that it changes their weight when they're younger, as opposed to older, that they find their bodies more sensitive to those things. And at least I will say that we often see people gain weight and that that's a normal part of either like a in early puberty, particularly for girls, can see an increase in weight. And so that's sometimes that families are bringing them in being like, I'm worried that their weight is high now. And we're like, actually, that's kind of expected as they're experiencing these hormonal changes. And similarly, kind of within adolescence and their 20s, 30s, we see that weight gain as well. And so, in fact, when everybody is so worried that birth control is causing weight gain, my answer is actually just like growing up causes weight gain. And uh-huh. I think that's the reason why a lot of people are very nervous about like, hey, I gain weight during this phase of my life. The ones from birth control. You're like during a growth spurt. Yeah. 
<laughs> but the ones who are not on birth control are still experiencing that weight gain. And so that's something that we know to be true as you're making kind of that transition. Mm-hmm. Guys, as many of you know, I've been on an alcohol-free journey. Please don't hold it against me that I just said journey, but I have. And one thing that I've really missed on this journey is beer. But now with Athletic Brewing, I'm able to get that delicious beer-like taste in my mouth without any of the alcohol. It's amazing. Just so you guys know, I used to love sours. I'm a big sour drinker and I really miss that taste. And now I don't have to miss out on it. It's amazing. Whether you're trying to cut back or you just want to explore a non-alcoholic alternative, Athletic Brewing is often a game changer. They offer a variety of different full-flavored brews with no alcohol allowing you to sip and celebrate anytime and anywhere. Do you like hazy IPAs, sweet fruity sours? Now you can enjoy this style without the hangover the next day. They offer hassle-free delivery right to your door when you order at athleticbrewing.com. Athletic brews bevs you can drink anytime, anywhere and still go right back to whatever you were doing. It's a great fit for parenting, playing sports, watching sports, doing chores, late nights and early mornings so you can imbibe without worry. Try Athletic Brewing non-alcoholic beers for yourself. Use code DST to get 15% off your first order at athleticbrewing.com. That's code DST at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company fit for all times. Warmer weather is finally back. After so many cold months, it's nice to get outside and soak up the sun, but the springtime always brings those unwanted guests, pollen and seasonal allergies. April showers bring spring flowers and sniffly noses and stuffed up sinuses. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. I suffer from seasonal allergies. I just had them hit the other day. I couldn't breathe through my nose at all. And I popped a Claritin and it was like night and day. I'm a huge fan of Claritin. I use it on the regular and it always helps when we're making that transition from winter to spring, which is when my allergies flare up. Mainly it's my sinuses that get so clogged and the Claritin just clears it right up. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy throat and nose, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Ready to live your life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Thank you so much for answering our questions. We do have some listener questions. Yeah, a lot of them are similar to each other. Yeah, we can be selective with them, but yeah. there are a lot that are focused on kids and about, you know, food positivity and body neutrality when raising kids. It's such a tough topic. And, you know, I feel like there's multiple ways that these questions can be answered. But one person asked, how do you create healthy habits for your kids when you're still developing yours Mm. and not to project your issues with food and body image onto them? Yeah. So I guess I want to start by answering. I think sometimes parents feel like they have to present a perfect image of themselves to children. When reality, children can learn from the fact that they are humans too. Like 
when we were first born, we obviously see our parents as these like superheroes who know everything, could never be wrong. And at some point in life, we realized like, oh my gosh, wait, you're just a human who's figuring this out. And that's why like there were great things about my childhood and things that probably could have gone a little bit better and that that's okay. And I think one way that parents can actually like remove this veil of perfection is just acknowledging like these are things that I'm figuring out too. Obviously mm. sharing that to the degree that's appropriate to the child. But it could be like, hey, um, I want us all to work on having a good relationship with food. These are some experiences that I had growing up that made me realize that I don't right now. And I don't want that to be the same way for you. So why don't we work on this as a family? That mm -hmm. would be totally a fair way to be able to approach that. That comes from not feeling like, you know, you're pretending to be some kind of expert that you're not and just acknowledging that we're all figuring it out. Mm -hmm. And I think this is just an experience of mine, but not being like, did you notice I lost weight? <laughs> like I had a, a, my dad recently was like, did you notice I lost weight? And I said, um, not really. And he, but I didn't want to like be rude about it. And I, so I was like, is that something you were trying to do? And he said, well, yeah. And I'm excited because I fit in my clothes now. And I said, well, that's good. You know, like, but then at the same time, we're still talking about weight. And my, my mom always was like, I never want to speak about weight with you guys or anything like that, because it can make things that much more disordered. But then I would feel like sometimes she was monitoring what she ate. And I was like, well, like, let me in on your world then, you know? <laughs> yeah, because she herself was dieting or like doing little Seem to things. be. Yeah. Seem to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really tough. I mean, would you say that focusing on like healing your relationship with food should come first before addressing your your children's relationship with food because I kind of feel like that's but isn't it like an ongoing process totally and like <laughs> some people already have kids like I, we can both be like we won't have kids until we're healed you know but there's people that already have kids and might be like going back into disordered eating by accident you know like yeah how would uh, not how would you respond to those parents I, I would probably say like give yourself a little grace but also ultimately like yeah, put on your own oxygen mask before you can put on your kid's mask. Yeah, I think with any kind of healing journey, I don't know that there's like a arrival point as much as there is, you know, a trajectory and a growth process that sometimes has setbacks and also has victories. And so I definitely don't want parents to feel like you can't model this for your child unless you have it all figured out because who really does? Mm -hmm. But I think it's a matter of one, having enough awareness of like, what are the issues that I have? Two, recognizing these are the issues I have and they're not things, even if there's things I'm still doing that I know are not good for me. And so I'm just thinking of in the household that I grew up in, my mom would make a lot of comments about her body. Mm -hmm. She never made any negative comments about ours, but not surprisingly, we still, again, saw that modeling. It's rubbed so, off. Um, yeah. I Even if I try not to intentionally, I'm like, I will never say those things to myself. Mm -hmm. I still hear them in my head because of the things that she modeled. And I wonder if, you know, maybe if she was a parent, for example, who's listening to this podcast, knowing that they're making those comments, even if she said out loud, like, hey, I just have to acknowledge, like, I'm not feeling great about my body today. And I wish I didn't feel this way. But just society sometimes feels like so much pressure to just be able to acknowledge, like, this is where I'm at. It's mm -hmm. not a great place. But at least if I'm calling it out for myself and allowing my child to hear that or like, hey, I'm really I've been really focused on calories, but we shouldn't be that way. 
here's how I want things to be different for you. That allows parents to say, this is where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm modeling different for you. But yeah, separately, I don't you know, need to explore all the things I'm working through, but just enough to be able to call out that behavior in the same way that we probably as kids, like I remember so many things my parents did, no shame to them. They were lovely parents, but there's something- We love our parents. All, yeah. Yes, there's always <laughs> things we don't like that we made mental notes of in our head to say, mm -hmm. I will not do this. And mm -hmm. I think somehow just naming that allows it to not continue. And my hope, of course, as a parent myself is that I won't continue those things. And so I'm just wondering if the parents listening as they're like, hey, I don't have it all figured out yet. If as a parent, they named like, hey, this is not something I want my child to do, even if they see me doing it, mm -hmm. telling their parents, kid, like, hey, this is why I do this. This has been a pattern I'm really working on, but it's not something I want to do. And it's not something I want you to experience that maybe that's how we kind of break it from becoming a generational problem. Yeah, it's hard to just ignore it because it's not like this is only coming from the parents. Your kids live in the world. They're mm -hmm. going to meet other people who have other opinions. And it's like, yeah, be a little honest about it. But don't tell too much. Don't burden them. <laughs> yeah, right. Not, we're not working through. We're not yeah. trying to dumping on children. We yeah. definitely need our support elsewhere. They're not our mini therapists. Like, <laughs> correct. If, they, if they're seeing that behavior, maybe we can just acknowledge like, this is not a healthy behavior. Mm -hmm. It's something I'm working on. Yeah, I love that. I love that because... We don't need to think our parents are perfect. <laughs> like It's better it, that we don't. It's better that we don't. Exactly. Okay. This kind of relates, but can parents still pursue weight loss while actively encouraging body neutrality with their kids? I think it depends on the motivation for the weight loss and mm. like what it looks like in front of the child. Like, I guess I would say for the motivational part is if it's coming from a place of me being in a bigger body without, for example, any like health risk that may have led to um, some concerns, then in some way it's like by you trying to say, I have to fix this problem, but it's not a problem for you. I don't know that a child is fully going to understand that. Like I think they're, as we talked about, they're going to take lessons from what you're modeling. And so you saying like, my body's a problem, but you're okay. They're saying, yeah. oh, if I look like you, then my body must be a problem too. Um, I think it's also kind of what, of course, that weight loss looks like. Sustainable weight loss is more likely, although again, like 90% of diets um, fail and people do end up regaining that weight with very slow weight loss over an extended period of time. So anything promising a certain number of pounds in a short amount of time is definitely less likely to be successful long-term. And so I think any kind of weight loss to that effort actually would probably be less noticeable. And yet yeah. whenever we think of like these weight loss efforts, we see these really dramatic, like I'm suddenly going to the gym and I'm there for like, you know, six days out of the week, one to two hours a week from doing zero to that. And that's not something that necessarily is going to be continued long-term. And so whenever I'm talking about like behavior change with or without the goal of weight loss, I really try to have patients emphasize like maybe your long-term goal is to be somebody who's in the gym every day, but like your one to two week goal doesn't have to become that long-term person. Like what does it look like for you just to make that next step? And maybe those small changes may not actually be something that's as jarring to the child. And again, that modeling of those healthy behaviors may still have the same, um, appearance to a kid because I would hope that every kid is also physically active in some way that they enjoy and really kind of doing the activities that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that that's a good point overall, though, is like the if you are pursuing weight loss, it's probably best that you're doing it in a sustainable way that your child probably wouldn't pick up on anyway. It would just be small, you know, lifestyle changes that you're incorporating. I have a question because I think a lot of people feel a lot of pressure to 
buy their food for their kids at the right places and have like the best foods and stuff. And all, a lot of those foods can be very expensive. Are there any places or ways that you encourage people to find nourishing food that won't break the bank for their children? It's a really interesting question. I guess what I would say is not allowing yourself to feel pressure. I think there's sometimes like the sense of, oh my gosh, they need to be the cleanest, most organic ingredients. And if that is within your family budget and that's something that you want to prioritize, great. But to not feel like you are a bad parent or somebody who doesn't care about your child's health if you can't afford that. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, again, thinking about the balance. And so using the best of what you have available to you to be able to make decisions and thinking about if there's hopefully not just uh, grocery stores, but ones that are more affordable within your area to still be able to incorporate some of those fruits and vegetables, because we all know the benefits of these things. Like, Mm -hmm. I think the hard part about all of this is everybody knows what to do. It's more about the reality of how do we actually do that? Do it. Yeah. Just, I think I, it less of, for me, it's less of an advice thing to be able to say, like, I know these parents, you all know what to do. It's best for your children. Feel okay doing the best that you can do and know that even if that doesn't look like somebody else's best because they have greater resources than you literally heard parents talk about the fact that the place that they can get groceries excessively is like their CVS or Walgreens. Like Mm. my expectations for what kind of meal they're going to put together is going to be very different than the person who can walk to Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. And so just to know that like you were doing the very best that you can within the circumstances that you can. And certainly if there's resources that you are aware of within your community that will allow you to be able to access fruits and vegetables and things like that more um, easily and more affordably, like please go seek those out. But um, I believe you're you're doing the right thing. Frozen fruits and canned vegetables are okay. Yes. Yeah. Better than nothing. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. I I recently was talking about this. I I was babysitting my nephew and he came up to me. It was six o'clock in the morning and he came up to me and he said, I'm hungry. And I offered to make him breakfast. He said, no, I'm not hungry for breakfast. I'm hungry for Hershey Kisses. And I then had to explain to him, or I didn't have to, but I just decided to explain to him how candy um, and sugar is like quick energy that you're going to burn through really fast and then you're going to be hangry. So like I would prefer for you to eat breakfast, a real meal, and then you can have the candy or you could have it on the side, but to get some nutrition that will sustain you longer, right? So I'm bringing that up because this person asked, how can we explain to kids that we can't just have candy or ice cream for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I'm wondering if that was the correct way to explain it or if there was a a different way that I could have explained it. I think your explanation is fair. Just like clearly kids can be motivated, especially the younger ones, by I want to eat what I want to eat. And of course, left to their own devices would not have nowhere near the balanced food that they have. And so I think it's more of a matter of letting them know like, hey, we also need, you know, protein and carbs and vegetables to be able to make sure that you have all the nutrients you need to be able to do all the things you enjoy and also to learn during the day. But also, yes, totally okay sometimes to be able to have, you know, the ice cream, the Hershey's Kisses, but that having that balance is super important so that you don't, you know, feel terrible later on when you need to do all these things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And somebody else, this is kind of similar, how to encourage kids to eat at mealtime over snacks, but still listen to their bodies. I think first is being kind of like prioritizing the meals versus the snacks. And so I think it's very easy to kind of like allow snacks and then the meal ends up becoming such a battle because of the fact that they're full as opposed to 
by prioritizing, okay, we're doing meals first and any additional needs that you have on top of that Mm. can be met by snacks can be really helpful for making that shift. Is there a rule for uh, how late kids can eat dinner or eat a snack? Like is something going to mess them up if they eat too quickly before they go to bed? Not really heard a rule related to that. Well, milk and ice cream will make you pee your bed. What? I used to have milk before bed. I was going to say, like, I, I hear it more often with, like, water or liquids just because of, like, accidents. So, you know, people who are more accident prone uh-huh. usually say at least a couple of hours before bed stopping. For the accident prone. For the accident prone. Food less so other than, of course, you know, like wanting to make sure they're still brushing their teeth before bed for as far as, like, cavities mm-hmm. and such. But no, I have not heard any kind of strong recommendations there. Cool. Because I I was thinking that the reason people didn't want their kids to snack during the day, because then they're like, oh, but then they wouldn't have a full dinner and then they'll wake up hungry or whatever. But it's like, okay, maybe they didn't eat enough at dinner, but the kid wants a snack after, like, that could be okay too. Definitely. Cool. It's the most frustrating thing, though, when they don't, like, when they barely eat any of their dinner and then they're asking for snacks an hour later. You got to get over it. I I know this. See, this is why I'm not a mom yet. <laughs> there are certain things that I just would not be able to handle. Yeah. And sometimes for the pickier eaters, we actually recommend just putting their food back. And so when yeah. they see that they're hungry later, like that's offering dinner a second time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, great! Your dinner is sitting right where you left it. But if you th- like, I'm an adult, and there's a lot of times that I sit down for mealtime. I'm not hungry. Yeah. And somebody's like, "Oh, why aren't you eating?" or whatever. I'm like, "I don't know. I'm not hungry right now." But you can bet I'm gonna have a snack later when I am hungry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just a more appealing food, the snack. Hundred percent. Like it's just more appealing, and that's what you want. And, but I understand why it's so. Or sometimes like you're not even hungry for the dinner, but later, like you're saying, like the dinner is like suddenly like more appealing. Yeah, that's kind of good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Somebody asked, what if your kids want to get fit or change their bodies? Do you help them? And if so, how? Mm. I've thought about this too, because I definitely said to my mom at certain points, yeah, like I want to lose weight or I want to get Mm -hmm. fit or I want, you know, but is it wrong or is it a problem to encourage that? So first, I guess I feel like a broken record, but exploring the why is so the why. huge. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that can be everything from somebody at school made comments about me. And then that's clearly a very different way that we're going to approach that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to get to be like, oh, you got bullied. It's your job to fix yourself. Like, I'm going to help yeah. you. Yeah. Versus <laughs> somebody who's simply saying like, hey, I just want to be faster at my sport. And so having more muscle or, you know, getting a little faster would allow me to be able to do that. And so even the idea, I guess I want to separate like losing weight versus getting fit. I think getting fit as far as like, yeah. you know, greater endurance, more muscle. I'm like, wheezing and dodgeball. I don't be. want to be. Exactly. Yeah. We <laughs> conflate the two. Like yeah. We very easily do. And so once you, yeah, once you said both, I'm like, ah, oh, my mind, they're different. The lose weight mm-hmm. certainly yeah. still requires a lot more concern. And like, I would say, even if your child mentions that, that would be a great reason to say like, Hey, let's go talk to your doctor. You know, obviously with the grain of salt and I, hopefully this doctor is not somebody who's going to practice fat phobically and say harmful things, but at least just giving you a sense of like, where is my child in the growth chart? Where have they been tracking? Is this even something that like is a new versus an old issue or not an issue at all? Versus the get fit, I think, is more about imagining some kind of program that allows them to be able to build on the things that they want to. Like, for example, when teenagers tell me, hey, I want to start like bulking up a little bit in the gym because I've never lifted weights before. Obviously, as long as they're doing so safely as far as the amount and the weights, like I say, go for it. Mm -hmm. 
This is, I think, our final question. And I think it is so interesting because I wonder this all the time in regard to my cat who can't even speak English. How can I compliment my child's appearance without body image pressure or undertones? (laughs) (laughs) AKA, how does Remy uh, compliment her cat without without being like, you're gorgeous? (laughs) I can't just be like, you're smart all the time. Right. I mean, I think that it is totally okay to use like, you know, things like you're beautiful, you look great, Mm -hmm. um, that outfit looks wonderful on you, like uh, that really brings out your eyes. All of those, like, I think that's okay to be able to comment on physical appearance. The key thing is just not focusing on the aspects of our bodies that might fluctuate. Mm -hmm. I think we've all either had the experience or feared the experience of like seeing a family member for the first time in a long time. Oh, you look skinny. Exactly. Or, (laughs) oh, you know, like it looks like you you gained a little since the last time I, you know, something Mm -hmm. that's clearly like a static point of view time. Like none of that's going to be helpful or, you know, it looks like you need a bigger size. Something to that effect that clearly puts the emphasis on weight. But I think you can talk about general physical appearance without necessarily having that reflected back and kind of feeling like I either there's something wrong with my body, whether it's under or overweight in this person's assessment. Yeah, you can compliment an outfit without saying that's so flattering on you. For sure. Like, I actually feel like it takes away from it a, a little hundred, bit. No, but yeah, Katie you Storino know? just put up a video about somebody saying something's flattering. And it's like what you're saying when you're saying that's flattering is my body's not okay as it is. And it needs this clothing modification to be acceptable. Mm-hmm. Or that somehow, like me wearing this outfit is an exception to how you think I. How do you look. normally think right. I look? Right. right. Yeah. Like, thank God that outfit is you making you look okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like a slight. Um, thank you so so much yeah, for coming you. on the show. This has been so informative. I kind of wish I had kids so I could bring them to you. <laughs> Maybe one day, though. Doctor, where can we find you? I'd say I'm most active on Twitter, which is R Fenton, F-E-N-T-O-N-M-D. Yay. Thank you so much. Of course. This was so much fun. I'm glad you had fun. Such a fun show. Thank you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Should we reflect a bit on the past week? I think we should. Today, we're doing our favorite segment, Sweet or Salty, presented by Angie's Boom Chicka Pop. Angie's Boom Chicka Pop popcorn brings you a boom of bold, craveable flavor that you can enjoy at any time on any occasion. Whether you're taking a snack size bag on the go or unwinding with your favorite flavor and favorite show at the end of the day, Boom Chicka Pop is the perfect delicious snack. Now, let's share what moments of our week have been sweet or salty. Remy, what you got? 
Okay, I'm going to start with my suite because it is so cool. I went to the premiere of Book Club 2. I had not seen Book Club 1, but I I've said... I've never even heard of Book Club 1. It's Jane Fonda, Mary oh. Steenburgen, oh. Candace Bergen, oh. and uh, Diane Keaton. Okay, star-studded? He star-studded. Much? Yeah, and my friend had an invitation and a plus one, and he was like, do you want to come? And I was like, absolutely. Like, that sounds super fun. And I don't know if you guys are familiar, but Mary Steenburgen's husband is Ted Danson. And because of that, Ted Danson was there. And he was holding her purse the whole time, being like the perfect little little wow. Instagram boyfriend. Um, but I went up to him at the after party and I was like, just a total fangirl. And I was like, I love Cheers. If it ever came back, I would, I would just die. And he said, that would be really sad. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, even if it was sad, it'd be funny. He goes, but me and Woody Harrelson are starting a podcast and you should listen to that. Wow. Fellow podcasters. Yeah. What's the podcast? I said, what's the name? He goes, there isn't one yet. So like, that's how new this scoop is. And he wouldn't even tell you the uh, subject matter. I assume it's cheers and just like their friendship and stuff and, or just maybe it's a recap. Maybe it's a recap pod. I don't know. But I assume since we were having Cheers conversation and they were both on it, probably that. You would have um, had nothing to do with that. I would maybe probably it was just still like listen. two dudes talking about surfing. Or I don't know. Maybe they have a hobby in common or something. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. But uh, I will check it out when it comes out. And I thought that was very cool. And also, I asked him for a photo. And he was like, I'm holding Mary's purse. And I was like amazing and he's like I'm gonna hide it behind your back and I was like okay and I just think that's so cute like with like this like iconic man you know at like being the support system for his iconic wife yeah well that's chivalry yeah you know that's what we're talking about when we're talking about chivalry and like being a gentleman it's 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 a dying breed and um just a nice supportive partner you know like yeah. he has his own shine but he's there for her and yeah he he holds handbags he pulls out chairs mm -hmm. he probably holds doors he definitely holds doors you know he does so i i just loved God it bless. yeah and we took a photo and i couldn't help it but i was looking up at him so the picture literally looks like like father and daughter yeah <laughs> oh i love i need to see it yeah it's really cute and what about your salty moment? <sighs> My salty moment of the week. It's actually been of the last two weeks. Last week I came into Betches and I realized someone had thrown out my ice packs. The things that keep me calm while recording in this very hot studio. If you can't tell she's salty about it. We're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is a big deal. Yeah. This is what you rely on to stay cool. Yeah. I'm not naturally cool. <laughs> I wasn't born cool. I need ice packs. I'm not cool. Yeah, I'm not cool. <laughs> and yeah, and so I noticed it wasn't like, I don't think somebody threw them out in a begrudging way. Somebody had made that space. That would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> somebody was like, I'm going to make Remy sweat. Um, no, they had replaced it. I guess somebody's got an ice cream sponsor. And so the whole freezer needed to be filled with ice creams there was no room for my sweet little packs well you could have just used the ice cream i could just stick ice cream down my pants <laughs> you'd look like the instead. hunchback of notre yeah, dame but yeah notre, notre dame notre dame sorry <laughs> i just i just talked over you but Say it again. Uh, i realized that i said notre dame like the college no it's but it's notre dame 
But in this case, it's Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> mm, sliding down my back. Um, so yeah, I'm a little feisty. Apparently they will be replaced. They're going to replace them for you? Sean said he would. Okay, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to hold him to that. Yeah, I hope he does. Um, but, but also you know, they've they kindly have... turned on the AC for me uh, Yeah, now. I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't really need those anymore. The ice packs were a pre-AC requirement. Right. But now that we have AC, hopefully you'll stay cool. I, it's about to get hotter because it's almost summer. Trust me, I know. And for that reason, I was very salty. Yeah. And and then I forgot after last week, I, I made it through the recording and then I went today <laughs> to find the freezer again and it just hit me and I was like, they're still gone. Yeah. But- yeah, I'll get over it, and everything is is just fine. No, I we'll get you new ice packs, or we'll get down to the bottom of it. We, maybe we should like have some kind of like murder mystery yeah. themed. Start like a clue who done it, who done it in the Betch's office because somebody like somebody's at fault. Somebody mm-hmm. who works here mm-hmm. is at fault. And to be quite honest, I don't feel that comfortable. Just casually hanging around a bunch of people who may or may not have jacked your ice packs. Right? Witch hunt on. (laughs) Emily, now that we've established a witch hunt, what were your sweet and salty moments of the week? Okay, once again, this is a follow-up. This is from a while back. Do you remember I told you about the cat in my neighborhood named Necklace? Necklace. Necklace or necklace? We don't know. We don't know, but... We do know now. Oh. Okay, so wait, so this is this is This is sweet. This is the sweet moment. So the sweet moment was I actually hadn't seen Necklace <laughs> in several months. Yeah. I thought maybe something happened to him. Mm-hmm. And since I um since I have a puppy now, I'm actually starting to talk to my neighbors. Usually oh, fun. like it used to be um, you know, uh, uh hey there every now and again mm-hmm. with my neighbors, but now Everybody wants to talk to you when you have a dog. For so sure. I'm getting to know these people that I've lived near for three years, at least, mm-hmm. that I've never spoken to before. And there's this lady that lives down the street, and I've gotten to know her pretty well. She has an adorable little son who loves Yahtzee and, mm-hmm. and comes over. He's not scared of him at all. He's two years old and just sticks his hand in his mouth. It's kind of crazy yeah but the mom is kind of hippie-ish and she kind of just rolls with it which is i think is why the kid doesn't have anxiety because the mom doesn't have anxiety so that's kind of cool for me to see anyway i digress (laughs) i was walking down the street the other day and i realized that necklace is her cat Ooh! and i didn't know this Mm -hmm. but i i i'm walking by her yard and necklace just hanging out there wait and and was he the boy that told you his name was Necklace? No. Okay. So the person who told me that his name was Necklace lives a few doors down from me in the other direction. Uh But it turns out that person didn't know shit. (gasps) That person didn't know what he was talking about, okay? Because his name is not Necklace at all. What? And this is my salty moment of the week, the fact that I can't trust my neighbors to tell me an accurate name of an adorable cat. We don't trust anyone anymore. I don't trust these hoes, okay? His name's not Necklace. Do you want to know what his name is? Hmm. Handsome. It's not even similar to Necklace in any way, shape, or form. How is it that I've been calling this cat by the wrong fucking name? For like two plus years, but like also rude. so rude of me. Yeah. Like, 
But maybe Necklace just thinks it's like a nickname. Well, Necklace, the thing is, Necklace didn't care. Like, yeah. that didn't stop Necklace. And, but Handsome, Handsome! That didn't stop Handsome mm-hmm. from following me home so many times, you know? Yeah. Which makes me also think, this cat's in trouble. Oh, what? <laughs> because he follows people who don't even know his real name. <laughs> like, that is, and this cat, when I say this cat is like, a model-esque cat. Like, mm-hmm. this cat should be in Frisky's commercials. Like, this yeah. cat is a model. Mm-hmm. The cat, the cat's mom, the one that I have gotten close to, she was talking to me. So, I, anyway, so I see, I see Handsome slash Necklace in the front yard. I'm looking at Handsome slash Necklace. I'm looking at her, and then I'm looking at him, and then I'm looking at her, and I find, and I suddenly put it together. Oh, my God. He's yours? Yeah. I had no idea. But you're concerned for- No, 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 no. So then she tells me. Okay. So then I, I told her, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe we didn't know each other, but I've known your cat for years. Yeah. And he actually has followed me home and like tried to get into my apartment before. Mm-hmm. I didn't tell her that he actually came in one yeah. time, but whatever. <laughs> you spent a considerable just, amount I, of time I together. I left that little detail out. But she said- that people have tried to take him before and mm-hmm. that she's found him because he has a tracker. Mm-hmm. Not a necklace. <laughs> no, it's not a necklace. Mm-hmm. It's basically built into his DNA. Mm-hmm. So she so she has found him like staying with random people before because he's <laughs> such a friendly, beautiful cat yeah. that everybody wants to steal him. Yeah. So anyway, that was my salty moment of the week. Just the fact that I was so wrong about this cat's identity. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd be mad at you for not knowing his name because here's the thing. I give my cat a new name every week. This week, her name is Cupid. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because she looks like one this week. Wait, so you give Grace a different nickname, like just depending on how you feel that day? Yes. Okay. I I mean, not that day. No, it it goes in cycles. Like for a long time, she was P2Chine. Then she was just Chine. Then she was Chupem. Right now she's Cupid. Okay, that's cute. It's the only one that's but, like a real but word. But always in the same tone. Right, and they recognize And tone. they don't care. If, yeah. Yeah, they recognize. like, you're so stupid. And they're yeah, like, Yeah, you know, I started calling Yahtzee Bubba. Mm-hmm. It just happened naturally. Mm-hmm. And Andy said the other day, he said Bubba, and he turned his head. Mm. And so it's like, does he think he has two names? I don't know. I, I would love to be inside the mind of a domesticated animal for same. a day. Just to like know how they think, because they sometimes... I, I often think like, is he bored? Is he lonely? Mm-hmm. Does he like this life that I've designed for him? Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be comfortable and to accept your life as someone's pet. But do you really like do you enjoy it? Yeah. Do you enjoy it? Yeah. Because I want you to enjoy it. Yeah. No, we just learned about a, a TV show you can put on for your cats and your dogs. And it's yeah. like TV for dogs, TV for cats. And it's got like birds going around and squirrels just so they can have some activity with their little eyes and stuff could be confusing but could also be really fun i leave music on for grace classical or Mm -hmm. oh that you know (laughs) that'll make her smarter so we love it she's a genius she is a genius guys that's it for our sweet and salty moments of the week please slide into our dms and tell us your sweet and salty moment of the week And um, when it comes to snacking, sweet and salty is the perfect combination with delicious, bold flavors like sweet and salty kettle corn, white cheddar and sea salt. Angie's Boom Chickle Pop is the perfect match for every craving. My personal favorite flavor is the kettle corn. I've said it again and again and again. It is 
addictive. And but, I'm on the cheddar train. Yeah. So Remy has recently hopped aboard the white cheddar train. Mm-hmm. You can try Angie's Boom Chicka Pop for yourself by visiting boomchickapop.com. That's B-O-O-M-C-H-I-C-K-A-P-O-P.com. Boomchickapop.com. And that's it for today's episode. Be sure to send your questions to DST at Betches.com to get them answered and follow us at Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram. And if you like this episode, please write us a review and don't forget to check out our DST merch on shop.betches.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And then of course, follow me at Remy Casimir. Follow me at Lubination. And you guys, always remember, we're always with you. Through thick and thin. Diet Starts Tomorrow is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Aliza Zinn. Editing by Sean Kilby. Social media by Aliza Zinn. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Be sure to follow Diet Starts Tomorrow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And send us your emails to dst at betches.com or your voicemails to 212-287-5650. Betches.